should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Tuesday, March 8th, and I am so excited to say that this is the most normal Tuesday that <laughs> we've had in uh, over a month. Thank you again for your patience uh, during our transition period. Um, I've mentioned before, Fong, our producer, is no longer with us, so I'm doing something different. I'm mentoring my young nephew, Kenny, who uh, hails from Stockton, California, used to be noted as one of the most... Um, I guess, uh, saddest city in the entire country. I, I describe it as the Detroit of California. But uh, just recently, uh, according to U.S. News, it's one of the most livable cities now because of its affordability, uh, despite the crime situation. <laughs> so um, uh, I, I am so thankful that he sits on an Amtrak train uh, every weekend to come up here and learn more about LGBTQ rights. Um, so, so kudos to him and kudos to Dennis Cruz for helping us get back to quote unquote normal. Uh, and so speaking of normal, every Tuesday we normally have John Zipper of Commonwealth Club and I'm so happy to say that he's actually here with us. Glad to be back. I'm sure we can make the normal abnormal if we try hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to have you and, uh, and uh, I'm sorry I spaced out that that was part of our norm to have you on every Tuesday, <laughs> and you reminded me so, and uh, I think it's going to be a great show today. Yes. So what have you been up to? We have been having tons of programs at the Commonwealth Club. Uh, some great stuff. I My mind is going totally blank. No, <laughs> no. I, I know that you had some important political dignitaries um, that have been on the well, program for... Right. We've yeah. actually had quite a few folks from the defense area. You know, the defense secretary, uh, Ashton Carter, was here talking about uh, North Korea, nuclear weapons and such. And actually, just a few weeks before that, we had William Perry, who's a former defense secretary. And uh, he was talking about... He's actually part of uh, some of these former secretaries of defense and sort of former secretaries of state from both parties who are now working very hard to try to denuclearize the entire world. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, and we're talking about, you know, George Shultz, who was Ronald Reagan's secretary of state, uh, William Perry and others. So it's it's a very high-powered, uh, broad-based thing that they're doing. So good for them. I'm glad one of us has been working hard and speaking to extremely intelligent people who are making a difference in the world. Um, so you've been, what, <laughs> sitting on the beach eating Fritos or what? Uh, well, obviously I was gone. I was in Maui for... Um, 10 days. And life, then life is tough. Life is tough. Yeah. It's shooting out there. So for those cool. who have been anticipating the Maui TV show, I will be posting it up today at michellemeow.com. Um, well, just so you know, just to remind, remind you, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club hosts his week-to-week uh, -week political roundtable talk every Friday here on the Michelle Miao Show on the Progressive Voices Network at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. So make sure you tune in for his brilliance 
his intelligence, his awesome guests. It's a fun one this week. Uh, who do you have? Uh, we had Melissa Kane, who talks about how to dump Trump. Uh, yes. We have uh, C.W. Nevius, and we have uh, Carson Bruno. So lots awesome. of good political stuff. Great. Let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is a good friend of the show. Uh, she's been on plenty of times, and we've talked about international human rights, um, especially LGBTQ rights in African nations, such as Uganda. And she hails from South Africa, lives here in the United States as an immigrant. But, uh, it, you know, I I, I think I I can consider her as American as any American is. <laughs> so let's welcome Melanie Nathan, who's the executive director at Human African Human Rights Coalition. Mel, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much, Michelle, and um, happy International Women's Day to you. That's right. That, that's why I thought you would be the most perfect person to be on the show to help us celebrate International Women's Day. Um, let's talk about International Women's Day. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of people may not even know it's International Women's Day. Yeah. Well, it's an important day. Um, it's a day that we celebrate uh, the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. Um, for me, it's a day where we acknowledge those who came before us and revere those who are going to come ahead of us and also give um, a lot of information and share information so that there can be increased awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to, let's talk about Africa for just a, a quick second. I mean, it was not too long ago that you were able to bring a member of parliament from Uganda, um, and that was uh, the Honorable Nabila uh, Sampala. And she talked a little bit about women and how they are treated, especially if you are someone like her who's in politics. Um, do yeah. you, do, let's discuss her role and kind of what she said during that time. Well, it was very interesting, actually. She was and is the what's known as the women's um, representative for Kampala in Parliament in Uganda. And, you know, they've just gone through another election, which was particularly difficult. Um, a lot of people are saying that the elections were rigged. Museveni, who's been the dictator there for the past 30 years, um, I do not believe has in any way been friendly to women's rights. Unfortunately, several bills that have languished in Parliament never saw their day of light. And Simpala and um, Honorable Navila did speak to the matrimonial bill in um, Uganda when, she, when we interviewed her here in San Francisco. And it's really horrible um, how the men in Parliament really thwart what is and ought to be women's rights um, protections in Uganda. And you know what? We would be remiss if we just focused on Uganda. Let's face facts. It's happening here in America. It's happening all over the world. You know, there are 90, I'd say 95% of our world leaders are men. And look how many women we have in the world. And I don't believe it's for lack of ability. Uh, it's certainly for lack of opportunity. And I really feel that women are suppressed. And in the global arena, progress is actually slowing down. And so it's really important to acknowledge all the various aspects that we are um, being uh, oppressed or suppressed in. And if I, if, would you mind if I just give a quick um, rendering of what that is? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. So it's access to education, opportunity and employment, 
reproductive health and rights, maternal health, gender-based violence, child marriage, female genital mutilation, water and sanitation, and general gender equality. Those are the big issues, and they're big for women around the world. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, you know, the number of uh, folks who are in leadership positions who are estimated to be men or versus women, and I recently read something about you know, just the, the, we currently have three U.S. Supreme Court justices, I believe, who are female, and how they have become a very powerful force on that court. The point being, you, know, you add more and more uh, women into leadership positions, you actually will get a change. Do you see any... I mean, if you're talking about some of these, you know, these rules and, and these these uh, uh, discriminations and, and abuses that are around the world and you're saying it's getting worse, is there any goodness? <laughs> That's a well, terrible word, but I mean, yeah. any reason for optimism as far as uh, women getting into leadership and, and roles and, and places of power where they can make change? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I don't say it's getting worse. I just say progress is not happening quick enough. Okay. So that that's a very important point to make. Um, I do. It's not all doom and gloom, of course not. But we do have to focus on the awareness, and the the numbers speak for themselves. They speak volumes. It speaks for itself here in the United States, where we can be said on many levels to be leading the way, and you know. It's interesting, like um, Michelle mentioned, Honorable Nabila, when she came here, I remember one thing very uh, potent that she said. She said even in her capacity as a member of parliament in Uganda, she basically serves with her husband's approval. And this is happening all over. We're still, still subjugated. We're still sort of second class. Men are still seen as being the controlling force. And this plays out around the world. Um, I think things are changing. I just think it's very, very slow. And we need to be doing a lot more. You know, it's such a big topic and it's so complex. And one needs to take um, a particular topic and look at what one can do in those arenas. But I think starting off by creating the awareness, speaking out, um, and really empowering our young women um, and all our young people. I mean, this is not just should not just be coming from women. Men should be fighting for this too. Progressive men, their voices are very important. So it's you know, and then we also have to remember, especially because we're on your show, Michelle, that within this realm of marginalized group is the further marginalization of lesbians and transgender women. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's another subclass and many subclasses within what's going on here. And let's also talk about our Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, it speaks of outlawing discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, but it doesn't speak of outlawing discrimination based on sexual orientation. There are so many things that we still need to correct. I know, I know. And that, and we're going to, you know, touch on a, a little bit of that. Um, I want to bring it back home to America. It's interesting, you know, because um, what's so hard, what's so complex about accepting that, you know, the women and men should be equal? Um, unfortunately, we're still struggling with that. And in, in terms of our own society and cultural, um, uh, cultural society, I should say, uh, our government, um, you know, you have Hillary Clinton, who's running for president's second attempt, although I think, uh, you know, she probably would have attempted to do so early on in her political career had she felt that she had the support. Uh, but even though we're at a better place, you hear from even progressive vo- voters, you know, sexist comments and remarks when um, 
uh, they they don't actually uh, agree with her politically. Why do people go there? Why do you think? You know, I think it's a lot of fear and control. And it's difficult to comment on that because um, I see the sexism actually coming at in the Bernie Sanders direction and in the and in the Hillary Clinton direction. And um, it's a pity that we can't just not be in that space at all. So I think the biggest lesson to learn is that although Hillary Clinton is running, hopefully, um, you know, that in her from her camp's perspective as the first women president ever of the United States of America, which I think is an amazing um, accomplishment and a great example to the rest of the world, um, there are all sorts of other factors that come into a campaign. And so one can't just run on that. You know, one has to run on um, her accomplishments, which are significant, obviously. And it's a pity that we can't just run sort of gender-free. But that first, the, the fact that it's a first, has a huge significance and one that we can't ignore Mm -hmm. and one that we must applaud. Um, I think that um, it's confusing for a lot of progressives because a lot of people don't necessarily see her as being more progressive than or more liberal than Bernie Sanders. So (laughs) there's a lot of complexity that comes into play. And I think when we bring pure sexism into it, it kind of, or, or we make sexist type statements, it kind of muddies the water of true equality, and true equality is when you don't really see the gender, you just go purely on issues. But this being a first makes everything around that very different. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. We have a minute left or so. John, you had a comment? Well, I was just going to say, I read someone online, and I apologize for not remembering her name, but she was a Hillary Clinton supporter, a young Hillary Clinton supporter, and what she was saying was, she keeps hearing all the the you know anti Clinton stuff that's thrown at her because oh she's a member of the establishment and what she was kind of then going into was what you're talking about yes she's the first she would not be where she is if she had not been a member of the establishment mm. because she needed to build you know to work up that ladder to get that kind of legitimacy and such whereas you know Bernie can be an outsider if Hillary is an outsider she doesn't get anywhere. Exactly. That was her case. Exactly. Let's continue this discussion right after the short break. So, Melanie, stay with us. Sure. Don't go away. We'll be right back with the Michelle Meow Show. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. 
This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Hello, I'm Dr. Herbert from Pacific Fertility Center. I'm part of a team dedicated to helping families, all families, have healthy babies. For me, pride starts with equality. It is the foundation for making choices freely. Not every couple wants to have children, but every couple deserves to have the choice. Pacific Fertility Center is proud to provide that choice for all families. We don't just acknowledge it, we celebrate it. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, March 8th. I'm Michelle Miao. Your host with us is John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. And our guest today is Melanie Nathan, who's the executive director at African Human Rights Coalition. She's also a board member at San Francisco Pride and the executive director at Private Courts Incorporated. So we know that she's a mediator, <laughs> a middle a middle kind of a person and a great representation of uh, of progress and and women's rights. We're, rights. We're celebrating International Women's Day. Um, uh, Melanie, so um, John, did you want to follow up on your thought before? Well, I, I just want to move on uh, in this, uh, for International Women's Day. Uh, the first lady of Gabon uh, wrote something or was interviewed by Time. Uh, and making the case that, you know, women's rights are, you know, advancement and women's rights are fundamental to Africa's, you know, improvement and, and advancement. Um, do you agree? Is that is that uh, a key to that? Yeah, you know, when it comes from people within Africa, mm-hmm. um, I, I really hear the, uh, how can I say, the balance between what is cultural and what is culturally correct and what is Western, and there's a lot of Western influence. You know, if we leave Africa intact, it's a whole different story. There's some uh, tribal aspects to Africa where women play a different role and where men play a different role, and it's, um, you know, hundreds of years of tradition. Um, And now we're living in a Western world, and there's sort of all these intersecting, um, aspects that come into it. You're, you're functioning in a global climate and you're living in a tribal village. Um, and how do you marry the two? Um, so, you know, when it comes from leadership in Africa, I respect that leadership and I hear it and I hear where it's leading and how the civil law in a country often has to change um, and often treads on the toes of cultural and traditional law. But it's interesting because each place is so different and it's so hard to generalize. Each has its own trajectory. Each has its progression. Um, And coming from the West, we kind of have to step back and let that happen. But at the same time, find the way we can to um, not impose, but to offer and show where um, international human rights uh, take on a significance and where we can possibly go in and show certain things as possibly being oppressive, such as female genital mutilation. You know, that's Mm. a perfectly good example of something that's traditional but horrifies us in the West and actually... um, 
if one looks at leadership from within Africa itself saying, hey, we don't want this, then that is a cause that we can absolutely pick up on. I, I would think that must be frustrating when you, 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 you see something you want to really get active on and try to change it, and but still coming up against that understanding that, hey, coming from someone outside of that region, it, you know, it, it might have a, a boomeranging effect, it might, you know, come across wrong. So it, uh, is, is the hope then to try to work with folks in Africa who are, who can, um, what, cultivate these, these ideas and these movements themselves with, with their own uh, local cultures and things? Well, yes, and I think that um, we can't be seen to be above any leadership in Africa. We need to partner, and we need to take, um, we can't be imposing. We need to pick up on African leadership uh, taking the lead and offer support. And um, to that end, I think many people are doing a great job. Um, you know, there's a lot of funding and stuff that we need to, that we're able and capable of providing, you know, but it really also goes to the root of um, allowing women access to education, allowing women access to um, opportunities, and providing the mechanisms where we are able to help with that. Because I think as women evolve, you know, when you look at culture and tradition, it also is something that gets to evolve. So something can evolve within a cultural context rather than from an outside West and we're shoving this on you. So I think, um, you know, I have to also say that on some level, the missionary stuff that has gone on in Africa, there's been a lot of positive, obviously, that comes out of that. But on another level, it has also to some extent um, squished a lot of the cultural stuff and squished the ability for culture to develop on its own. Um, religion has been very imposing, and in some cases, I think religion actually can exacerbate this male-female um, inequality. Mm. So that's also another whole big complex part of it that we need to look at. Mel, I wanted to to talk about you know the fact that uh, you are raising two young girls um, mm-hmm. in in you know a quote unquote non traditional setting you know lesbian moms. Yeah. You're highly educated. They're educated, and congratulations to your daughter. You know who uh, has the opportunity to attend uh, New York's Tisch School of Arts. Um, yeah. So very prestigious. I mean, you know, they've, your children have access to these incredible things that I think will shape their progress in terms of you know, being female leaders um, and doing something different. But the majority of those in America uh, don't have this type of access. And so, you know, in what ways, um, what do you think your kids are are thinking when it comes to women's rights? Oh, my gosh, what a great question, Michelle. I have to tell you that I sat on my couch a few days ago with my 11-year-old, and I asked her if she liked Hillary or Bernie. And she said, I like Bernie. Now, I have not influenced her at all. Mm-hmm. I've not had the discussion with her. This was the first time. And this was after being um, a week away from my home in, in her other mom's home. And she said, well, I've been watching and listening. And to me, I feel like Bernie is more real. And I said, well, so you don't support Hillary? Have you listened to the actual issues and stuff? And she rattled off some issues. And the first thing that she said was, well, Bernie's talking about free college. And I realized that she's, she's 
talking to teens or, or who she's listening to, I'm not sure. But what was so amazing to me was that at 11 years of age that she was listening and that she seems to be making up her own mind here. And what was also amazing for me was that she never saw the male-female. To her, it didn't matter. To her, it was just an issue thing, and she picked up on this. I, I hope that parents do talk to their kids. I hope that parents give their kids reading material. But we, you're right, we don't see that everywhere. And then, you know, I'm watching TV, and I'm seeing the type of person, and I don't mean to sound too judgmental, and the comments, that, the violent comments that are coming out of people's mouths at uh, Donald Trump rallies, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want my kid to see this on TV, and yet this is a representation of an entire political party in our country. And I don't want my kids to hear the misogynism, and I want to slap him in the face, or references to sizes of genitalia. And... I don't know, we need to be doing something very, very differently if this is what's happening in front of our face. So I'm wondering how many of our kids are being influenced by A or B? Certainly the influence you as a parent and, and, and uh, you know, the schools they go to is, I mean, crucial. Linda Hirschman uh, wrote a book uh, recently on, I think it's called Sisters-in-Law. It's about the friendship and the working relationship between Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the first two women on the Supreme Court both of them, you know, very different, Christian, Jewish, you know, uh, one grew up in a, on a Western uh, farm, you know, ranch land, another grew up in Brooklyn, et cetera. But they both understood with their roles on the Supreme Court and that they wanted to make sure not only that they were the, not the, that they understood that both that they were the first, but they wanted to make sure they weren't the, you know, last ones to be there. But one of the points Linda made was uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, raised by her parents on a farm for a long time, she was an only child. And she never heard that she's not equal. You know, they, they, they didn't tell her that. And no one on the, you know, none of the ranch hands are going to tell the, you know, the owner's kid that. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg attended Cornell and, and Hirschman was making the point, you know, at the time she attended there, you, you were all treated as equal. You were expected to be equal. And, you know, you're kind of ruined for life then because you'll never accept being treated as unequal after that. Um, yeah. I mean, those messages in as many ways as possible getting out to both young women and, and young men that, you know, this is what you're dealing with. And this is, this is a good thing. You know, this is good that you get to, to go forth and, and you should not be, you should not be treated and you should not treat others as inferior or unequal or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, your, your role in that top flight crucial. Yeah. And also what you, you bring up a good point that um, the modeling really starts at home. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter uh, to some extent that initial disparity that might be there economically or opportunity-wise, there is still that opportunity for a parent to model certain things that their kids pick up on and lead in a certain direction. And we see that with how people from all sorts of walks of life end up. You can have somebody from the most privileged, wealthiest of scenarios landing up um, you know, not being an ideal human being when all is said and done. And you can have somebody from an impoverished scenario landing up being, you know, a president of a country. So um, the, the, the middle part, the beginning part is certainly the parental modeling. And then the middle part is the opportunities that are out there. And obviously, um, for certain sectors of our community, 
the um, opportunities are not as great as for others, and I think that is where the gross injustice comes in, and that's where there needs to be change for men and women. Yeah. We have time for one more question, and so I'll wind down here. Um, <laughs> it's just recently, actually. I would say as recent as almost a year ago in which I tried to deck a guy for... And it's the first time I've ever done something like this. But he pointed his fingers in my face and said, what about a man's rights? And uh, I just flipped. Um, It triggered something inside of me. And so it goes back to kind of what you posted on your Facebook, Melanie, that uh, women are not equal in in today's society. And that uh, crosses international boundaries even. I mean, it's not even just here in the United States. Let's end with that. Let's end with the fact that while we have had progress, we are still not equal, right? Absolutely. We're, we're not equal in the same, I mean, you know, uh, discrimination based on um, gender might be in the Civil Rights Act, but we need to live it. We need to live our Constitution. We need to live our um, enactments that give us that equality, and we're not. And I think um, we have a long way to go from coming out from under it, but in the United States of America, I'm definitely seeing, I believe, another wave um, where we hope this can happen. But ultimately, it boils down to educational opportunities and parity in the workforce and modeling at home. That's my opinion. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for joining us here today and uh, for helping us out to celebrate International Women's Day. If you'd like to follow Mel and her work, you can go to oblogdoblogda.com or look up Melanie Nathan, <laughs> who is the executive director of the African Human Rights uh, Coalition. We're going to take a short It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Don Ennis, who recently wrote an article about Caitlyn Jenner. So don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Hey, it's Michelle Miao from Swirl. Welcome to our spotlight on success and achievement. We're profiling individuals of our community who are successful. This month, we feature Fred and Jamie, newlyweds who not only got married, but they're planning weddings for other gay and lesbian couples all over the Bay Area. Let's meet Fred and Jamie. Okay, my, my name is Jamie Botello, and uh, we are all owners of Gay Vanity Wedding Show. We produce this wedding show for the community, and uh, we work at the Sullivan Botello events. Hi, and I'm Fred, and our show will be at the Bentley Reserve uh, April 19th from 11 to 4. Well, we are uh, self-employed small business owners here in San Francisco. Um, We started our company uh, three years ago. Uh, As of this year here, we're going on our third year, and it was important to us to really get a niche market uh, that I don't think anybody's really tapped into. We just recently got married last uh, May. We're producing a wedding show for or community, so we're not married. We need to be married and do the sample, just tell everybody how happy you can feel about being married. You know, when it comes to uh, finances, you know, it's it's kind of like a traditional marriage. You know, you're combining everything. You know, some people say, you know, oh, you have your checking account, I have mine. It, that doesn't make sense to me. If you're coming together as a couple, there's a reason you're coming together as a couple. That's to bring everything together. We are very pleased and proud of uh, what we do for our couples, and we always recommend them to to share whatever they have 
and uh, just to listen one to another and uh, always be together and see, set uh, their goals, what, how far they want to get, how far they want to go. And so whatever, whatever it is, we are here just to share with them that uh, uh, happiness is uh, something that you can achieve and you can get. Today's Spotlight on Success is brought to you by Wells Fargo. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, this normal Tuesday. <laughs> I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And our co-host today is John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for being with us and celebrating International Women's Day. It is. You're an awesome feminist. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's continue, you know, talking and discussing about women's rights. Um, and, uh, you know, I've refrained from having a conversation about Caitlyn Jenner for, well, since Caitlyn Jenner came out. Um, and I think I think there's good reason for that. I, I, I really hate the dialogue that's focused and centering around Caitlyn Jenner right now. I think it actually takes away from the rest of our community. So I'm very, very excited for our next guest, Don Ennis, who is an award-winning journalist, uh, blogger, and also a contributor to The Advocate um, and also writes for ET Online. So let's welcome Don. Don, thanks so much for being here with us. Hey, hi, everybody. Um, so you recently wrote an article, um, which I thought was very insightful, and you know, the title of it is She is Kate and I am not, face-to-face with Jenner. And it almost, when I read the title, I was like, you know, I wonder if she was, was, was she hesitant? Was she afraid? Would, you know, what were your thoughts, you know, in terms of this task uh, or the point of it, the intention? Is it to get to know Kate a little bit more, even though we've had a whole entire season of getting to know Kate? I'd say the most important thing that I was able to bring to this Caitlyn Jenner discussion is, except for Christine Carl, who was a um, uh, the host of a uh, fundraiser in Chicago, who put some questions to Kate for the very first time from a transgender perspective, I'm the first transgender journalist who was invited to sit down with Kate in her home and put all the questions that the community itself has been asking for most of the last year. A lot of the journalists who have asked questions have brought the cisgender perspective into their reporting, and I really wanted to put the transgender perspective in um, reflection so that Kate had someone she was talking to who understood exactly where she's coming from. And she was very open with you, at least that's how it comes across in the article. Uh, did did Do you think she was forthcoming or are you getting kind of like a media facade that some people, especially someone who's been in the media for so long, can kind of be good at presenting? Well, I've been in this crazy business for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I've met former presidents. I've met sports stars, movie stars, celebrities. I pretty much know right from the get-go what kind of person I'm going to meet. Am I going to meet the person who is on or am I going to meet the person that we all know and we all meet every day if you ran to her at the, well, I don't know if you'd ever run to Caitlyn Jenner at a grocery store, but if you did, <laughs> um, she's gushing. She's very personal. She's, I mean, she gave me this huge hug when I first met her, which was a little off-putting at first because, you know, I'm coming in there to be a journalist, but you know what? I'm, I'm welcomed into her home, and she greeted me the way she greets all the people you see on television with a huge hug. Um, very outgoing, very personable. Is she on? I'd say that she's always on. I mean, this is a media-savvy professional who's been dealing with 
reporters for 40 years since the Olympics. Mm -hmm. She knows how to handle the media, and she said as much. But I got the sincere feeling that apart from her scripted responses, apart from those things that her handlers tell her to say, I got to meet the real Kate. Hmm. And unfortunately, I'm not so sure that she wanted all of the real Kate to be seen because um, there's been a tremendous backlash about one thing she told me. And that is she uh, wants to be the trans ambassador for <laughs> Ted Cruz? Or what do you think? No, that's it. And I have to, mea culpa on this one. You can blame me, everybody. When she described what she wanted to do for the Ted Cruz campaign, um, sorry, for Ted Cruz as president, if he were to be elected, I instinctually just came up with a description for that in shorthand that said, you want to be the trans ambassador. And she mm. said, yes, that's what I want to be. Mm. So mm. that's my creation. I came up with that title. Yeah, she um, agreed to but, it, though. <laughs> but she did agree to it. And, and here's the thing. I don't think she's sorry she said it. Mm -hmm. I think she's sorry that it became the story. And I'm sorry that that's what happened, too, because there was a lot more that she talked about. But this is a political season, and it's probably the most divisive political season we've had in decades. So it's no wonder that this became the headline. So I, we do want to get into the whole Ted Cruz aspect. Before that, though, just in, in that sense of right, right on the tail of what you just said, what do you think had that not come into this conversation that she would have wanted people to come away from having, you know, from this interview? What she kept telling me over and over again was um, she knows that the trans community has not been on board. That Now, her show's not aimed at the trans community, first of all. Let's, right. let's make that clear. This is a show aimed at the cisgender community that watches E, that watches the Kardashians, or wants to know more about people like Kate, people like me. She's aware that they are her harshest critics, critics, and she was willing to address that. But what she wanted to get the word out about is, even though the show is called I Am Kate, her main ambition is for people to get to know, she calls them the girls, the other women on the show who are in their own individual ways, women, and not just men who dress up or men who are uh, fetishists. She wanted to make, um, she uses a word that really bugs me, but she, she wanted to normalize the transgender experience for people. And by having a diverse group of women, I think she's doing that. So hats off to her, and I think that was her main goal of our conversation was to, you know, promote season two and to make people understand, even though she's on a learning curve, the show is already full of women who have already transitioned, have navigated these waters, and can be, hopefully, accepted by mainstream America. Michelle Miao and John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club were speaking with Don Ennis, who has an incredible article out right there. It's featured on The Advocate uh, titled She is Kate and I Am Not Face to Face with Jenner, in which Don had a sit down um, uh, conversation with Caitlyn Jenner. Um, I, you know, Don, I wanted to ask this. OK, so. I get that, you know, Caitlyn Jenner is uh, is different from the, the, the community and, and, and everything else. But let's let's talk about let's take a step back and ask this big question. What is the biggest beef do you think that um, the LGBTQ community has with Caitlyn Jenner? And uh, and then and then turn that around. The second follow up question to that is why can't Caitlyn Jenner just understand that she may be in, you know, the um, 
beginning stages of, of uh, you know, understanding transgender issues. So maybe it's just not her time to do it all. A big television show, be a, an advocate for LGBTQ rights, be an ambassador for <laughs> President Ted Cruz if elected. Um, so, yeah, what do you think? Well, my first response would be, I alluded to this in my piece, but um, the writer Amanda Carey did it even better than I did. This is a 66-year-old wasp millionaire and millionaires, if you want to use the old version of that word, she's got a whole different perspective on life than the rest of us. She's been a conservative for most of her adult life, if not all of her adult life. And just because she transitions, she doesn't suddenly become a die-in-the-wool liberal. Um, I think that, to answer your first question, she is a, a person who has set ways, set views, and is slowly coming to learn what being a woman is, what women who are interested in men are all about, what men are all about when you're a woman, what it's like to be a woman in society in America today, and lastly, and this is in her priority order, what it means to be trans. It's not her top priority. She's done her transition. To her, the transition part is done. She's not interested in doing anything else right now except for living her life authentically. So... All the other stuff is more important to her, politics and things like that. So I'm, I, I'm willing to say we're all different people. My transition is not the same as hers. Your mileage may vary is the expression. So I, I think that America and the rest of um, transgender world, as my um, late wife used to call it, trans world, we all have to sort of get with the idea that this is Kate's world as she sees it, and I don't really know why everyone seems to think that they know better what she should be doing with it. Um, to your second question, gosh, um, the show itself, I think, is something that people are going to have to um, understand is an educational show. I know it doesn't seem like that. It seems like it's this Kardashian with trans women. But there's so much education going on through Kate making mistakes, through the women challenging her. There's a lot to be learned from watching the show, including the fact that she is out of touch with mainstream America. She is not to be condemned for this. She just she lives on a mountaintop. She has all the money in the world. She has had all the access to things that a lot, the majority of us, don't have access to. And I don't know why people should falter for that. I think people, the, in general, the trans community, they want they want to have their own show. Why does Kate have a show? Why can't I have a show? I should be on TV. My life is much more authentic. Um, okay, but is anyone going to watch that? It's not that no one's life is more important or hers is more important or that people aren't going to watch shows about everyday people, but Kate's going to have celebrity interactions and more fascinating things to do as Kate Jenner than... Dawn Ennis or Michelle Miao or anybody else because she is Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, this is a worldwide celebrity. By her very nature, her life is about big splashes and, and incredible things. And that's what a TV show is really all about. It's about the drama and the conflict and the, 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 the things that she does that are just so outrageous. I have to, I have to just take a step back and, and say, as a non-TV viewer, yes, it's very frustrating to see her in designer clothes and designer purses and know that she has access to money 
for helicopters and planes and, and for beautiful um, places to stay that I'll never, ever have. Wait, but, you, don't, you don't have a helicopter? <laughs> I thought we all did. I've been sold a lie on journalism. I thought it was <laughs> a, the key to... I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually calling you for my blimp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it, it's, it's, it's so true. because One of the first things I remember from season one is Diane von Furstenberg like, sent her a, a, a bag. Um, another designer sent her clothes. And I was thinking, and I think I wrote this in The Advocate, do people who are not trans think that, like, when you transition, that all this stuff just shows up at your house? <laughs> it's the welcome gift, yes. Okay, it's like the welcome wagon. Okay, boys, we've got to have a transgender celebrity. We've got to drop off some clothes. You know, I just, I need, to, I need people to understand that, like, there are some excellent resources like Trans Exchange on, on uh, Tumblr that I'm writing about for The Advocate about how trans men donate their clothes to trans women and trans women vice versa so that we don't have to all go shopping. Because, I mean, for God's sake, Goodwill only lasts so long, you know, as far as the selections. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we have to do because we, we don't have money. We don't have... I, I'm making <laughs> making buckets for salary right now. Um, and I, I need people who are not trans to understand that that disposable income that the LGBT community is so famous for... Uh-uh, not us. Yeah. We're broke. Right. We're broke. Right. Don, I want to continue on with uh, demystifying people's thoughts and perceptions about LGBTQ people, but especially the transgender community. We're going to take a quick break right here, but stay with us, because when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about Caitlyn Jenner. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale.com. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Hi, my name is Dr. Carolyn Gibbons and I'm one of the fertility physicians at Pacific Fertility Center. What pride means to me is a celebration of the freedom to embrace the diversity of all human beings and a celebration of the freedom to love whomever we love. To me as a fertility specialist, pride is being proud of helping all our patients to create families. We've been a proud provider of fertility services to the San Francisco LGBTQ community for almost two decades now. 
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday, March 8th. I'm Michelle Meow, your host, and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Our guest today is Don Ennis, who's an award-winning journalist and who has an article out featured on The Advocate um, in which she sits uh, down in a face-to-face interview with Caitlyn Jenner. Um, so I, I'm sure of it that those who are tuning in today know who Caitlyn Jenner is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don, I, I want to ask this uh you know, this question, I mean, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, has the privilege of, of being able to have this talk show that reaches millions. And you said it earlier before the break in which the majority of those tuning into e-entertainment um, are cisgender people. And so when you have a trans woman who's speaking about trans rights and brings in other transgender women into this mix, um, even if Caitlyn Jenner is proposing her own individual opinions, she's literally educating the very people who need the education the most. And I just feel that I don't know if she understands that, uh, yeah, she can be herself, but that is that is taking away from the the emergency issues, the voices of the actual transgender community that needs the platform. What do you think of that thought? I think that you're right on target, especially in terms of how Jenny Boylan, who I am very, very blessed to have as a friend and mentor, she is Kate Jiminy Cricket, and she is constantly um, bashing, bombarding, reminding, gently you know, coddling, trying to help Caitlin understand the greater, bigger picture. And I think Candace in the first episode of uh, season two expressed the frustration of that, you know, she's set in her ways in many, in, in many regards in that she doesn't want to have anyone tell her different. But at the same time, you can see in the introspective moments that Kate does realize she does have a lot to learn. Um, I, I'm not sure that the individualized education, in other words, her own education, is as important to her as educating the viewer. She wants, from our conversation, viewers to get to know trans people who are successful, who are happy, who are healthy. And as I explained in the article, for season three, she would love to have America meet those people who aren't like Candace Kane, who aren't glamorous like Caitlyn Jenner, who are just folks who feel that, you know, gender dysphoria yeah. is real. And I'm sorry, we all don't fit, just like all women, we don't fit a certain shape or certain size. We come right. in all different uh, presentations. And if season three does happen... Um, I'm confident that's what Kate wants to do. She wants right. to make America aware of that. Well, well here, here's a here's a yeah. here's a thought. I mean, she's got you Please. said it too. The, the money in the world. She's got relationships with some of these high-profiled producers and everything like that. Why not make the show for those women that she wants the public to be educated? Why why not just give them the platform instead and take herself out of that? I, I mean, I, I mean, do well, we really need to get to know Caitlyn Jenner, who represents you know one percent of the, of this um this country? And I'm talking about from a political and a okay. class perspective. Well, let's let's look at the title. I am Kate. You know, um, 
she herself said the show's maybe called I Am Kate, but it's about those women. But um, sorry, Kate, it's about you. And <laughs> she's, executive, she's executive producer of the show, which is really more honorific from my understanding of television that, you know, they gave her veto power. And, and by being an executive producer, she gets to basically say, oh, no, take that out. Put, yes, put that in. Get rid of that guest. Get rid of add this person. But she's not like in the edit room editing the show. She's supervising and she's contributing to how the show you know is designed. She has producers who actually do all the thinking of well, what are we going to do with this show with her input. I don't see her writing her out of the show because um, it's a vanity project. Okay, keeping um, <laughs> up with the Kardashians is about the Kardashians, and this is Kate. Jenner, in her own Kardashian-ish type show, I just don't see how, and I, speaking as a television professional, I don't think anyone would watch a show about five or six trans women running around the country on a tour bus. I think that the reason the show gets the ratings it does is because of Kate Jenner, and some of it is because people say, oh, she's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go to Ted Cruz. Um, okay. In this interview, uh, she says she likes Ted Cruz. She thinks he's very right. conservative, a great constitutionalist, and a very articulate man. She also says, but I also think he's an evangelical Christian and probably one of the worst when it comes to those to trans issues. Excuse me. Um, so is the idea that she wants to be the trans ambassador for Ted Cruz or the trans ambassador to Ted Cruz? Ah, good question. But you're the first to ask that, and I think that's very insightful. I'm retiring now. Uh, that's great. <laughs> you may step back. Leave on a high note. My, my answer to your question is the following. First of all, I asked her, who do you like? Will you say right now who you like for the, 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 the GOP nomination? Or for the, I think I asked for the, the White House. Um, and she said, I'm not endorsing anybody until they're nominated. I'm going to hold off. So she answered her question with the, you know, this is the official boilerplate question and answer that she was given to say. And then we talked about uh, Donald Trump and about his Ku Klux Klan refusal to denial and disavow and now repeated disavows. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she volunteers, I really like Ted Cruz. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I, I think I got a, a sense that you know she was leaning at least in his direction based on the number of candidates that are left and who is out there. He just seems to represent what she represents in terms of her values. These are her values. So I wasn't shocked. But when she described how she wanted to be, uh, this is something she describes in the show, as she was telling me how on the tour bus, she tells the ladies, wouldn't it be great if he had someone on the inside who could, you know, represent transgender people and help him with these issues? And she said that the women on the show could be like sort of a panel of people who could uh, he could call upon for these kind of things. And that's when I said, you want to be trans ambassador. And I think she meant when she answered yes. She wants to be trans ambassador to Ted Cruz. She wants to help Ted with his issues. And he has, he doesn't have issues. He has subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, some of these people can't really be helped. But, um, Don, we're going to wind down here. And, and thank you so much for your time. You've been an incredible 
an incredible uh, uh, guest here on the program. And again, this is actually the first time I'm diving into the conversation of Caitlin. And I mentioned earlier because I felt like where the dialogue was going was taking away from the actual work that we need to be doing as a community to propel the, the transgender community forward. You have received a incredible amount of negative responses for doing this interview. Tell us why. There are people who feel that um, I am either out to get Caitlyn Jenner, um, like I've got it, you know, I've got her uh, targeted so that I can have my own reality show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's going to happen. Um, Call me Don. Second, second. I am I'm Don. sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm, I, my blimp and I are sailing away. Um, <laughs> but but uh, the second reason, when I was the um, first trans woman to um, come out in network news, uh, in an editorial position of responsibility, um, that didn't sit well with some people, uh, especially the people at the New York Post who thought that I should be some kind of, um, you know, person to be mocked or whatever. And I, um, I had some medical setbacks that caused me to step back, just like Caitlin did when she decided to not go through with her transition. And i got to tell you, there's a lot of people who have detransitioned over the years. My reasons were, were very personal to me, but I didn't really have much of a choice. I did what was going on in my life at that time. And then, you know, it wasn't too long after that I realized I'm who I am. So I transitioned back to who I am now and who I've been. And that really set my stocks even lower because people saw me as some kind of wacko or psycho or whatever else. So I've already got sort of a built-in reputation as either unstable or unreliable or questionable or whatever. So if that's how people see me, they're going to, of course, jump on this particular um, accomplishment of mine and try to knock it down. Mm. I, I, can't, I can't worry about those people. I'm living my life. I'm a widow. I've got three kids to raise. I've got to find a way to support them. And at the bottom of it all, I'm a good person who happens to not be a bad writer who really loves telling stories. And I'm so glad I got to tell this story because uh, The Advocate opened up an opportunity for me to not just become the first transgender editor, but to bring Caitlyn Jenner to the trans community and answer the questions that they have asked me for the last year. Don, I think I accomplished that. Yes. And, and congratulations. Congratulations. And thank you again so much for joining us here on this program. I, I, I so appreciate your voice and the work that you do. Well, I hope to see you again somehow, some way. Somehow, some way. So sail away, your perfect little blimp. (laughs) (laughs) blimp. All right. That brings us uh, to the end of the program. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you had as much fun as uh, as I did. Right, John? That that felt so good. It was a great program. Um, I'm so thankful for you, too. For, for being here with us and for joining us. And uh, again, you can tune into John's show on Fridays here in the Michelle Miao Show on the Progressive Voices Network. It's his week-to-week political roundtable talk at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We also post our uh, shows, the podcast that we do together, up at CommonwealthClub.org or .com. CommonwealthClub.org slash meow. Meow! <laughs> and for everything else, like the television shows, you can head to michellemeow.com. And if you have any comments or thoughts or questions for us, feel free to send me an email uh, by visiting michellemeow.com. Until tomorrow, my friends, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Have a great night. <laughs>